Thank you all for being here this morning. It's uh, lovely looking down, such a beautiful day outside, and I know that this is the uh, more or less the holiday season of the year when so many people are here and there and yonder, and uh, that's how it is at this particular season. Here in Northern Ireland, we're a kind of a unique people in ways. I was uh, talking to a young lady that I happened to know just recently, and she was telling me that she wrote to a hotel somewhere, I think she said in Scotland, and uh, she wanted to book in for the 12th fortnight in July, received a letter back which she showed to me, I don't know what sort of months you have in Northern Ireland. We have only two fortnights in July in Scotland, and you're looking for the twelfth one. Couldn't figure that out. Uh, shows you maybe how little or how much or nothing at all that people know about us, uh, not too far across the sea. However, that's how it is. Lovely to be here today, and lovely to see you out at the meeting. And I would ask you to remember very much in your prayers the... Uh, gathering tonight down in Dungannon. I was listening there to the long-range weather forecast. And if there's anything to go by, uh, I think you better bring your overcoat and your umbrella and I don't know what, not all, but nevertheless pray that the Lord will intervene. And for that hour, just keep the rain away and, well... If somebody else wants rid of it for the rest of the evening, they can pray for themselves. But let's pray that the Lord will undertake for us during the course of this uh, meeting tonight. Again, talking about things that you hear and things that amuse you, during the last four Lord's Days, I have been down preaching in a church in Lisburn, which is not a terrible distance away from here. And uh, after the meeting was over last Lord's Day evening, I was talking to a couple of people, and they were saying to me, where are you going now, or what's your next place uh, that you'll be going to minister the Word? And I told them, I'm going to the lifeboat, and they looked at me a little bit amazed. They said, where? I said, the lifeboat. They said, I've never heard of it. Where on earth is that? Well, I said, it lies somewhere between Armagh and Dungannon, you see. And then one of them looked at me and they said, what on earth do they need a lifeboat for in Armagh and Dungannon? You see, you're nowhere near the sea. People down the road don't even know where we're, what we're doing or where we're going half time. We need to maybe put a great big advert on TV and let them know who we are and where you are in these days. However, those are just a few of the comical things that come. Now, turn with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today, and I want to take a reading down near the end of this chapter. In this particular chapter, I recommend that you read it when you go home and sit down and consider what this chapter is teaching. You find in the main that the apostle is dealing with two major issues. From verse 6 down to verse 11 of the chapter, he's dealing with lawsuits among brethren. Now there's 
a very remarkable one. And uh, in the days we're living in, I think note should be taken of that and taken off it very, very carefully. It's something that is condemned in the word of the Lord. I knew one man who was in danger of getting into a position like that and he pulled right back. And I said to him, why did you do that, Sam? Well, he said, for this reason. He said, it's much better for me to lose in this world than to offend the Lord and to offend his word and lose out in the next world. I understood perfectly where the brother was coming from. You want to know what I'm talking about? You read those uh, opening 11 verses. But from verse 12 downward, I'm just giving you this background to fill you in with what the chapter's about. He deals with how God is to be glorified in the body of Christ and in your body and mine in particular, in the body of Christ in general. That's the church all over the world, but in your body and in mine as individual believers. And I took great encouragement there from the hymn that our our good brother gave out. That was the second one today because it deals with our relationship to the Holy Spirit of God. That's mainly what I would like to talk about to you in the meeting today. Remembering, of course, as I endeavor to do that, that he shall glorify me. The main ministry of the Spirit of God in coming to this world on the day of Pentecost was to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus and also by his convicting power and gracious dealings with men, build the church. And of course, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I think with that little bit of background, I best read. Let's come to verse number 12. Paul says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. That means there may be something lawful and right to you, But if it brings offense to another believer, then pull back. Don't do it. Don't offend the people of God until they come to the light that you have. That then would be very different. He goes on. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I'm not going to explain these things as we go because if I do... I'm not going to get down to what I want at today. Meat for the belly, and the belly for meats. For God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Very interesting statement that. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. Here he's dealing with Christian morality and morals. What? 
Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. That's another very interesting comment. Now, here's where I want to come this morning. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God's. Now, could we go back to verse 19 for a moment? Because I want to show you this morning, if time allows me, but in case it doesn't, I'll give you four separate things that are here in this verse. I want to use four words. Not difficult, quite easy to understand, but they do divide, I believe, these verses Properly. Now, the first word I want to leave with you is the word indwelling, or if you like, the word infilling. Because Paul says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? And then he goes on to information. Information that is remarkable. Because he says, which ye have of God. And because of that, ye are not your own. Now there's some information for you. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to the Lord. But then when you come to the next verse, you can have, if you like, inspiration or instruction there. Because he goes on to say, for ye are bought with a price. Now, if I buy an object and pay for it, I buy it because I want to use it. That's, if you like, the instruction or the inspiration that you and I need. The Lord bought us in order that he might use us. And at the end of the verse 20, we have this particular truth brought out. It's something that's individual. Because note how Paul wrote this. And in your spirit, sorry, ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. That's outward. And in your spirit, that's inward, which are God's. And that, of course, is individual. And if you can get every member of the fellowship to do that, then I want to tell you, your church will go forward with great guns for God in these days. Well, now, that's the two verses I want to talk about. Indwelling or infilling is the one that I mainly want to labor in the meeting today. Let me just read the words again. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Now, may the Lord add his own blessing 
to that reading of his own inspired word. When Paul is saying to these believers here at the church at Corinth, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? He's not suggesting for a moment that they don't know. If you go back into this epistle and read, where the apostle goes back over many of the things that he taught the Corinthians when he was there personally, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit of God certainly was not neglected. So you say to me, why does he pose this question? Well, let me put it to you another way. What Paul is saying is this, what know ye not, or I know that ye know. I know that you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you. How did he know that they knew? Well, I've told you already, he knew that they knew about this because he personally had taught them and told them. It was all part of the ministry that he engaged in whenever the Corinthian assembly was formed. After all, he was the evangelist that God used in bringing this local church into being. So reading it like that, it begins to make more sense. I know that you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you. And I think bringing this away from Corinth to this lifeboat meeting today, I think I could say truthfully and honestly from this pulpit that you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you. Now let me try to explain to you exactly what I believe that means. You see, my friend, prior to your conversion and prior to my conversion, apart from conviction of sin, we had nothing to do with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God at all. Not a single thing. You were the master of your own destiny. You were the driver of your own life. You were the person who sat in the seat, if you like, of authority and moved whatever way you wanted to go. But when you got saved and the Spirit of God came in, then things changed. Let me tell you something personal. Whenever I came to know the Lord at first, as a lad approaching 18 years of age, I had literally no information at all about the details of our great Bible. 
Very often when you stand up here to preach, people will think that you came from a home where these things were honored. I had a good home. Don't get me wrong. My parents were the best that I could have. They only had the one child. That was me. I think when they saw me, they said, that's enough of that. And they didn't go any further. Whether they did or not, I don't know. But I was a one-off. But my father, while being an excellent man, was not saved until his early 70s. Very much did I despair for him time and time again. My mother and her sister were both saved on the one night in a mission in a Methodist church. And my mother was 18 years of age. Now, sadly, when she married my father, which was an unequal yoke and something that she ought not to have done, she backslid very badly. The result was this. I came into a home where thanks was never given for food. The Bible was not read. I never heard tell of a family altar at all. None of those things were practiced in the home. And my parents went to two church services every year. That was the Presbyterian and the Methodist Church Harvest Thanksgiving. And that was it. That was the sum total of our church going. So I think you can see what I mean when I said I knew little about the fundamental teaching of the Bible. However, let me say this. That I went along after I became a Christian. This is why I'm telling you this. To a meeting on a Thursday night that was conducted in the village where I lived. And it was Bible teaching only. And some of the best men that this, promise, this province ever had came there to open the word of God. One of the preachers who came on a regular basis was the late W.E. Tucker. Tucker was the man that the late Willie Mullen was saved through. And I tell you, he could handle the word. But I remember one night going along to that meeting, friends, and the preacher was talking about being indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And in my ignorance, I remember coming out of that meeting on that particular night. And where the meeting was held, you walked across the roadway and down onto the shore. And I walked along the shore that night on my own. And I said, that man's crazy. How on earth could I be indwelt by the third person of the Trinity. To me, it didn't make sense. However, when I started to read the scriptures, I was soon to discover that it was not the preacher that was wrong, but me. That what he was saying was absolutely true. That as a Christian, I was indwelt by deity. And I want to tell you something this morning, friends. It scared the life out of me. It literally did. 
And many a time I wish that I could get back to that point where I was that night, where I realized that the Lord, the Spirit, was inside of me. Upon believing, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And when that struck me, it really brought terror to my heart. However, when I say the word or use the word terror, I mean this, that I was terrified of offending the Lord who dwelt within. And I can assure you, it mightily adjusted my Christian walk. But when I discovered that, that I was a person indwelt by the third person of the Trinity, it revolutionized my thinking about the Christian life and in particular about the service of the Lord. Now, for the benefit of young believers, let me just illustrate this a little further. In a convenient village to which I was brought up, for many years down there, there was a factory, and the factory manufactured men's shirts. Now, us men always like to have a fancy shirt of some sort, and they were made there, and it used to amuse me, because I'm perfectly sure you've seen in the shop windows Peter England, the make of the shirt. And uh, this big advertisement, you see, made in England, they were made down in Ballywalter, in the village next door to where I was brought up. So it shows you that pen and paper refuses nothing. However, I got to know the managing director of that director of that firm pretty well. And while he was not a Christian to the best of my knowledge, he was a natural gentleman. But I remember saying to him one day something that I wanted to know. And I wanted to know it for this reason. I'll explain it as I go. I said, tell me, sir, in the manufacture of one of these great shirts that you make, I had to butter them up before I asked him what I wanted to know, give him a wee bit of praise. I said, what is the very last thing that you will do? Well, he told me this. He says, the shirt is manufactured by the worker, made by the worker. It is then examined by an inspector, and if it's proved to be 100% sound, then we will put the maker's tag on it, the name on the neck. I'm sure you've seen that. You get that on virtually every garment you would purchase or wear. Now, that's what I wanted to hear. Because as a believer this morning, my friend, let me say to you, that the Lord brought you right through the process of manufacture. He convicted you of your sin. He revealed to you your great need. And then he let you see the mighty work of Calvary, what Christ had done for you personally. He brought you to the place where you were enabled by the Spirit of the living God to repent of your sin and to put your faith and trust in Christ and to quote the Lord Jesus and also the Apostle Peter and others in the Bible, 
You were born again. You had a birthday for heaven. You had become a child of God. You were off the narrow way and you were placed on, sorry, off the broad way and placed on the narrow way. You had left a road that brought you down to hell and destruction and ruin. And you had come onto a road that leads you to heaven and home. All of that the Lord done for you, proving that what Jonah said was absolutely true, that salvation is of the Lord, totally and entirely. But whenever the job was done, God had to put his seal upon you. The mark of ownership, the stamp that you belong to him, like the shirt manufacturer putting his name on the shirt, God had to put his name on you. What was the identification tag that he used? I'll tell you. It was the third person of the Trinity in your heart and in your life. Think of that. They that have my spirit, them saith he are mine. I look down over this congregation of people this morning. So glad you're here. And again, we would say how glad we are to see you. But I don't know where you stand. The Lord knoweth them that are his. But as God looks down upon this gathering today, he sees us all, every single one of us. He knows whose heart he has placed his spirit in. And he knows who's still in rebellion, who's still in their sin, who's still in refusing to have done with sin and come to Christ. He knows all along the line, friend, he knows all and everything about you and me. And as he looks down today, I just wonder, does he see the third person of Trinity in your heart? Upon believing, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, I trust as a believer you can see that. I don't want to labor that any further just now in the meeting, but in going around at the moment as I'm doing, I'm discovering constantly that God's people seem to have forgotten this. And we become so scared at times of what we might call today a charismatic experience that we have become extremists the other way. And we have started to neglect the Spirit of God entirely. I want to tell you, an individual does that to their cost. Equally, a fellowship of God's people will do that to their cost. So I want to lead you a little further. Again, when Paul was writing not to the Corinthians, but to the Ephesians on, the, on this occasion. He uses in chapter 3 and verse 19 of that epistle a very, very unusual statement. Now here it is. It's a comparison. And it's a very odd one. And I've said already it's an unusual one. Talking to the believers, he said this. Be not drunk with wine wherein is access. Now the word access there 
it means wherein is the ability to act the fool. Of course, old Robbie Burns wrote, when the wine is in, the wit is out. And maybe some of us would know a bit about that. Whenever uh, the times and times gone past, we engaged ourselves in the matter of alcohol. I never did. I did many a thing as a young man, but I never, ever touched it. And I can honestly tell you this morning, standing on this pulpit, I never had an alcoholic drink in my life. Not that I'm claiming to be better than anyone else, but I'll tell you why. My chum at school was a publican son. And I used to be round at the back of that pub every day in life virtually, and I saw things that put me off alcohol forever. I vowed I would never touch it, and I never did. I didn't want to end up like some of the people that I saw and some of the things that I saw round at the back of that old pub. It was absolutely sickening. So from that day to this, I have never, ever engaged in alcohol at all. But why did he say, be not drunk with wine, wherein is access or the ability to act the fool? Well, I believe he did it for this reason. If a drunk person who's given to wine was to walk in through that door this morning, he would be easily identified. You would know him first of all for, by his smell, for he'd nearly knock you down. And you would know him by his actions. Where I lived away in the early days, just again to illustrate this from personal things, I think this may help you. There was an old guy, an old retired sailor that I was very, very friendly with who lived up past us and he was called Tommy. That's all I'm telling you. Now, I don't know how Tommy died. Many a time I witnessed to him. I certainly hope he has made it to heaven because he was one of the nicest men I ever knew. But most sailors, they like their fair share of alcohol. So I used to come to the door at nights where I lived, and he'd bang the door, you see. And I'd say to my mother, there's that old fella tonight again. And uh, out she'd go to the door, and he would say, is the big lad in? Now, that was me. He was up to about here. He was no height. And why he wanted me was this. He wanted me to walk down to the village where the pub was so as I would hump from home when he got drunk. And that's what I had to do. At night. And my mother used to tell me that whenever I got Tommy home, I was so nearly overcome by the fumes of his breath, I was nearly as drunk as him. But I had no problem knowing that Tommy was influenced by alcohol. None at all. He could hardly stand on his feet. And whenever he fell into the ditch, which happened regularly, he used to shout, Steamboat ashore. I told you he was an old sailor. And it was so clear to me that he was drunk with wine. Paul, what are you at? Well, here's what he's saying. Let me quote the verse. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. If a person comes through that door filled with the spirit of alcohol today, it's obvious. If a believer 
is filled with the Spirit of God, it's obvious. It should be clear and plain and obvious for all to see. Now, come on. Let's put you to the test today. You've come out this morning to worship the Lord. You've been singing those lovely hymns. We've been reading his word together. You've been hearing what I'm trying to say about his word. I'm asking you today, are you really filled to overflowing with the power of the Spirit of God? I just wonder, I wonder where we stand. Now, concerning the filling of the Holy Spirit of God, you'll pardon me with another personal illustration to you. But I remember, again, going back to my early life, friends, the lack of knowledge of these things fascinated me. And I had to find out truth. And I came across a verse in Scripture again in the Ephesian epistle, that talked about being filled with all the fullness of God. I couldn't understand that. Filled with all the fullness of God. How could that be? How could that be me? How could I be filled with all God's fullness? One Saturday night, I was in a prayer meeting in that particular village where I was brought up. And there was an old guy there that I valued because he was an old guy who was extremely wise. He had great wisdom and he had a lot of time for young folk. Coming out of the prayer meeting one lovely Saturday evening in the summertime, I said to him, Bob, I want to ask you something. He said to me, what is it this time? I was always asking him questions. Many a time I'd go along and I would ask him something that he didn't know what to tell me. And he would look at me and he would say, just wait and see. <laughs> and maybe that was a pretty good answer. But I said, Bobby, how can I be filled unto all the fullness of God? I want to know. He said, come on down the shore with me. So the two of us walked across the road, down over a blast bank and onto the beach. Now he says, look around you there and find a clamshell. And I looked around me and I found one. You know what a clamshell is? People make objects and ashtrays and things like that out of these clamshells. And I said, here you are, Bobby. Now he says, let's come down to the water's edge where the tide was coming in. The tide rotates three times every day. You see, twice, one day it'll be out. And once in, the next day it'll be twice in and once out. And the sea was actually coming in. And you could see the waves coming up a little further every time. And he said to me, look, get down pretty close to the water's edge now. He said, and put that clamshell down and sink it into the sand until it becomes level with the sand. Then he said, let's just stand back and watch. So I stood back, did what he said put the clamshell into the sand and stood back and carefully watched. And as we watched together, the waves kept coming and coming and coming. And then the inevitable happened. 
One of the waves came right over, and then it surged back. The clamshell had been covered, and it was now filled. I remember filled unto all the fullness of God. He said, Harvey, there's what you need to learn. I said, what? He said, that clamshell will never hold the ocean. But he said, it's holding all it can. He said, you'll never hold God, but you need to hold all you can. As a believer, I never forgot that. Because what he said was right. You will never hold God no more than the clamshell could hold the ocean. But the clamshell was holding all it could. And you and I need to do exactly the same. To be holding all that we can. How do we get there? Well, I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit baptism or anything like that this morning, friends. I'm just talking about practical Christian living. Those other issues we could maybe deal with at some other time. But I'm talking about a practical relationship between the believer and the Holy Spirit of God. I've discovered this in my own experience, that the closer I get to Christ, the more filled with the Spirit I am. And the further I get from him, the more carnal I become. It's a question of turning your eyes upon Jesus and looking full in his wonderful face. And the Holy Spirit of God will flood you and overflow you and fill you to capacity. And you'll find yourself brimming over with the joy of the Lord. Like David, my cup's full and running over. And it will not only run over to you, but it will run over to others. And you'll become a vessel unto honor, sanctified on meat for the master's use. Is there anything else would help you say to me? Yes. Ask, and ye shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Is it hard to ask? Is it hard to knock? Is it hard to seek? None of those things are difficult. God has made it as easy for us as ever he possibly can. My friends, we need the Spirit of God's filling today more than ever in this day and generation. Someone I think it was in the prayer meeting in behind this morning, was praying about the disgusting things that's happening upon the streets of this land of ours, in particular yesterday. It's a horrifying sight to behold. And it does me harm every time I see it because these terrible distractions seem to be increasing and getting worse as the days and the years go by. However, as believers, we can expect that to happen because things are going to wax worse and worse, not better and better. But if we tackle a problem like that, in the energy and power of the flesh, we will be swamped and defeated. 
There's no question about that. But if we are filled to the overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit of God, one and God are always a majority. There's no one can stand in your way and you will have victory after victory that you never thought was possible. Now, my time's just about gone this morning, friends. And I'm going to have to leave the rest of this verse with you, except for one thing. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? God gave that to you. Isn't that good of him? To give his spirit over to you and me? And ye are not your own. Young people today, saved and on your way to heaven, please remember that. Ye are not your own. Now there are two things that hinder our relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm just going to mention them and finish. First of all, you as a believer and I as a believer can grieve him by unconfessed sin. I have dealt in my time and in my experience in evangelistic work with many people who have been what you might call a genuine backslider. But I have yet to meet one who has backslidden and got away from the Lord that it didn't begin here. Unconfessed sin. Because if we don't confess our wrongdoing, it gets worse and worse and worse. And it accumulates day after day after day. And it takes us further from the Lord. That's a tragedy. So I would say to you not to forget what the scripture says. That if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The second thing, I can grieve him by sin and I can quench him by disobedience. And I tell you something in this meeting today. If the Lord is showing you something today, my friend, that he wants you to do, by the power of his spirit, he will never take you another step until you obey him. He never will. It may take a long time, but he'll bring you back to that point. You remember Jacob? He went into the presence of the father covered up with these skins and whatever. The old lad, the old father said to him, what's your name? He said, it's Esau. Told a lie. Got away from God. Was away from God for 20 odd years. Then one night he started to make his way back. Read the story. He lay down, not going into any detail, The Lord came near. The Lord started to deal with Jacob. 
And the Lord saw that this man was so crooked. Nicholson said he was so crooked he couldn't put on his shirt. Now, I don't know whether that's right or wrong on and on about his shirt, but that's what he said. The Lord came near to him. The Lord was just about to turn away. And Jacob knew that if the Lord had gone from him that night, he was finished. That was it. No more opportunity. And Jacob laid hold of the Lord by faith, and he said, I will not let you go except you bless me. The Lord turned and he said to him, What's your name? Brought him to that very question. He said this time, My name is Jacob. Told the truth. The Bible says he blessed him there. God brought him back all those years to the place where he went astray. Every backslider has to do that. Come back to the place where they went wrong. Make it right. And then God will take them all. I want to leave it there, friends. I knew rightly I would never get to those other items in that verse. Maybe some other time. If the opportunity comes, we can do that. But... That, what I've left with you this morning, has burdened my heart all week for this meeting. I trust the Lord will bury his word in our hearts and use it for the glory of his name.